Isn't that the way it is? I mean, really, can God, can we really give anything to God that's of any import, of any eternal significance? I mean, other than what God does in us and, and, and what we do as a result of this new birth in us, this, new, this spirit of God dwelling in us, other than us giving back to God in our reasonable sacrifice, making our bodies a living sacrifice, other than doing those things and glorifying his name and being ambassadors to the world around us of his love and grace, is there really anything else that we can give to God? Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. David lived in an expensive, beautiful home. Then he remembered that the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains, and the contrast bothered him. David's desire was to build God a house. God seemed honored because no one ever offered to do that before, and he never commanded anyone to. David wanted to do more than God commanded. This is a wonderful place to be in our relationship with God. Most of us are stuck in the thinking of, how little can I do and still please the Lord? This leads us to never really wanting to do more than God commands. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he begins in chapter 7 of 2 Samuel. Let's open our Bibles to 2 Samuel. Last week we looked at chapter 6, and chapter 6 was a, a very momentous occasion for not only David the king, but also for the nation of Israel as they had brought the Ark of the Covenant from Abinadab, and, and they let it set for a while at Obed-Edom's house uh, due to an error that the Levites and David had made. But finally they bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, and they place it in a tent Uh, that David had made for it, you remember that the Ark of the Covenant and all the other furniture, the table of showbread, the altar of incense, the the lampstand, they were all in the tabernacle, but the tabernacle by this time has been at least four or five hundred, at least five hundred years old, and I'd imagine that 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 tent had wore out, (laughs) and it was time for a new tent, and so David builds another tent and he places it in there at the uh, on the in the Mount Zion, right next to the Temple Mount, where you and I know today. And it wouldn't be until his son Solomon would build a temple, and then that Ark of the Covenant and those other pieces of furniture would be placed back in the temple. And when Solomon did it, he did it really big too. And David uh, spent the rest of his life, as we'll see. Uh, in the coming chapters, um, spent that time acquiring the materials, the gold, the silver, the bronze, everything that was needed for his son to build the temple. God didn't want David to build a temple. We'll look at that tonight. So David now has the temple, or excuse me, the tabernacle, 
excuse me, not even the tabernacle. He has the Ark of the Covenant. I've got to get with it here. He has the Ark of the Covenant finally in Jerusalem. And now he's king over all of Israel. And can you imagine the great release that is for David? Now, after so many years being chased down by Saul, and now all the prophecies and those things are coming to fruition before his eyes and before the eyes of all the Israelites. And what a blessing and joyous occasion it was. And so David brings that ark into, um, into the Jerusalem. And then as he has got peace, you know, remember he, he established and fought the Philistines right prior to the ark coming. And it was a, um, a time of relative peace. And now David starts to think about the ark. He's in his own ceiling, you know, cedar-tiled home, and it's beautiful. A king's house, palace, would be beautiful. And then I imagine he's thinking about the Ark of the Covenant, and he's thinking it's sitting out there in some tent. You know, and yet he's in this really beautiful place. And I can't help but wonder if David, we'll see tonight, I think it kind of got to him. He realized the disparity between where he was living and where the Ark of the Covenant was. And so David's desire, you know, was to build God a home. Build God a house, as if you can build God a house. Doesn't he inhabit eternity? Doesn't Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen tell us? It says, Thus saith the high and lofty one who inhabits the Hilton? No. Thus saith the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. The heavens and the heavens of heavens can't contain him, much less a house that man could build on terra firma. And so... But David's heart was right, and God blessed him for his heart attitude, which is always good. Aren't you glad that the God blesses you and rewards you based on what's in your heart? Hopefully that's good, because sometimes we don't have the means to do the things that we would like, but having the heart to do something for the Lord is what he reward, he'll reward you for, to have the attitude. And so let's just look at the first 17 verses. We're going to go through the whole chapter tonight. Um, the first 17 verses are really this... Uh, realization uh, of David that he wanted to build a house for the Lord, and then his seer, who was Nathan the prophet, they often called them seers, but he's a prophet nonetheless. So he has this, this conversation with Nathan, and the Lord has to correct even the prophet of God and David, because they both were wrong. But the Lord was blessed with their intentions, why they wanted to do it, but it just wasn't to be done and then we see from really from verses 18 down through the rest of the chapter through verse 29, David just giving thanksgiving to the Lord for what God has said that he was going to do, not only in David's life, but to David's progeny, to David's dynasty, going on beyond Solomon, beyond even Zedekiah, Judah's last king, going way, way into the future, even into the millennial reign and beyond. What a great, wonderful picture that is. So let's look at it. It says, Now it came to pass, when the king was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all around from his enemies, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. And then Nathan said to the king, Go and do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, 
Would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever have I moved about with all of the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more. As previously, since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused you to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. And when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom, notice, forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And if he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, So Nathan spoke to David. And can you imagine how David must have felt? You know, he set out to do this great thing for God, and God says, David, I appreciate it, but I got something I want to do for you. Isn't that the way it is? I mean, really, can God, can we really give anything to God that's of any import, of any eternal significance? I mean, other than what God does in us and, and, and what we do as a result of this new birth in us, this, new, this spirit of God dwelling in us, other than us giving back to God in our reasonable sacrifice, making our bodies a living sacrifice, other than doing those things and glorifying his name and being ambassadors to the world around us of his love and grace, is there really anything else that we can give to God? There really isn't. But God says, David... I'm going to give you so much more than you can ever imagine. i got a plan. I've had a plan. From eternity past, I've had a plan. And I want to encourage you tonight as we look at this, especially as we get back into the Old Testament. Well, we're in there now, but as we get further back in the Old Testament, is just to see the hand of God, that God had a plan all along. there's There's no getting into something and then realizing, oh, I don't have a plan. I think that's kind of current news right now, isn't it? But anyway, you know, God had a plan. He knew exactly what he was going to do, and he had the power and the strength to follow it and see it through. No one else can do that like God does. He has the king. Whatever king there is, he's in the palm of God's hand. He turns him wherever he so chooses. And that gives me such great delight 
It gives me great confidence, great assurance to know that nothing is happenstance. Nothing happens by chance. Nothing is a coincidence. Everything is by God's eternal design, and he is the mover and shaker. Not anybody else, not the Taliban, nobody else in this world. They will all bend the knee and bow before the great king of kings one day to the glory of God the Father and say, You are Christ, the Son of the living God. Now why that this passage that we looked at, and we've already looked at the first half of it, we call this the Davidic Covenant. This is a significant portion of Scripture this evening. It's significant. When we look at Matthew's Gospel, if you remember, Matthew's slant, if you will, on the Gospel was to show that Jesus was the rightful heir to the throne of David. That he was the rightful heir. And he does that by starting off with a genealogy. Remember, the genealogy is in the first 16 verses of chapter 1 of Matthew. And what does he do? He gives us a, a genealogy going from Abraham all the way to, to, uh, to David and then ultimately to Jesus Christ. And it's broken up just like that too. From Abraham to David, and then from David to Jesus. Wow, what is this about Jesus or David and Abra- or David and Jesus? There's a, a wonderful link between the two of them. And of course there is. Of course there is. It shows that Jesus is the rightful and qualified heir to the throne of David. After David has passed from the scene... And this covenant that God made with David is obviously is extremely important because God's going to continue to show his promise from beginning from the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 all the way through to the millennial reign of Christ. He's going to see it through, and we're going to look at that tonight. In Psalm 89, it says this in verse 3. The psalmist says, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David, your seed will I establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. So this covenant that God made with David that we read, it not only affects David, but also his son Solomon immediately following him. And it continues all the way through the line of Judah, through the line of kings, all the way until Christ, all the way through to the millennial reign and beyond. It's incredible to me to see from a human perspective, how all of this could have come to pass and for all the, what, what the prophets have foretold. Because anything along the way could have gone wrong and all of this would have been null and void. It's interesting to consider when you think of David's fleeing from Saul and how many times he was this close to death. And do you understand that if David was allowed to be killed. Do you understand how much was riding on his life? I mean, could God have done some other way? Maybe he could have. I'm sure he could have. But he didn't. He used David. David was the one. He alone was the one. And how close was he to death? David even said to Jonathan in 1 Samuel chapter 20, he says, Truly as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. That's what he told Jonathan. He said, I make one wrong move and I'm toast. And how much of the scripture was riding on David's life? And was God faithful to see him through? Is he faithful to see you through? 
The answer is a unanimous yes. Yes, he is. He's able to see David through. And we're not even called to be, well, kings and priests, of course, but we know we're no King David. But if he can do that in King David, how easy it is for him to fulfill his plan for our lives. But God's plan cannot be thwarted. From the beginning of time, God had a plan. We know that. And he was going to do it through one. He was going to do it through, ultimately through his son, Jesus Christ. But who was Jesus' ancestor, if you will? I mean, we know that Jesus always existed from eternity past. That's what John 1.1 is all about. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Before anything was made, He was there. So Jesus predated it all, and yet in the flesh He came through the line of David. He came through the line of Judah. And what does it say in the Old Testament? Now, I'm going to give you some scriptures. I'm just going to read them to you. I'd encourage you to either get the, to rewatch the video or rewatch or re-listen to the, the audio recording or just write these down. I'm going to read them to you, and I'm just going to read it to you for the sake of time. But when we go all the way back to Genesis, this is really important because this is how important the Davidic covenant is. Because back in Genesis 3.15, you remember what it said when God pronounced judgment upon the serpent. What did he tell him? He says, you are more cursed than all cattle, than more than any beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity or hatred between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. Who is her seed? Singular, by the way. It's Jesus. Her seed. It says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It is the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, who would ultimately crush the head of the serpent. He's already done it. Now we're just waiting for the end game and it will come to pass. And that's why the devil is so full of fury because he knows his time is short. He knows the Bible better than you and I do. He knows his end is coming and it hasn't changed him one bit. All he can do is take away as many from God as he can. The apple of God's eye is his creation, man. And all the devil wants to do is take as many down with him as he can. He knows he's going down, but he's going to take as many down as he can because he knows that's the only thing that he can do. He is not omnipotent. He is not omniscient. He is certainly not omnipresent. He's outgunned. He's got a rubber band and a little piece of wood And God has got all power. He's got nothing. His end is sure. Can I get an amen? I like that. I like the fact that his end is sure. And it's written for us in the word. I like reading that. So there it is. Jesus, the seed of the woman. But Jesus has to come through the line of David. It tells us that in Genesis 49. Remember when Jacob was on his deathbed, he, he prophesies over his son, and when he gets to Judah, what does he say? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. Who is Shiloh? It's the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And to him shall all be all the obedience of the people. What does Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 say? That God is going to raise up for them a prophet from their midst, from their brethren, whom he, they will hear. This prophet, we, we've been in the Gospel of John, and, and that prophet is Jesus Christ. He is the one from Judah. He is the seed of the woman. 
And it all goes through David. So David is so important in this whole picture. And what about during David's lifetime? What was spoken concerning him? You remember in 1 Samuel 16 that Samuel, that the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? This is after Saul had died. Seeing I have rejected him. Sorry, it wasn't actually before he died. This is, um, never mind what I just said. (laughs) The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I will provide myself a king among his sons. And the implication is, of course, to reign over all of Israel. If you look at that verse 1 there. And what about David's, the, the, the prophecy of David? Even Jonathan, when he met him in the wilderness of Ziph in 1 Samuel 23. Jonathan said to David, he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of my father Saul shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. So David, the king, and Jesus Christ, not only his progenitor, but also his descendant. In Psalm 110, it speaks of David's descendant, Jesus Christ, the Messiah who would reign in the millennium and beyond. The Lord, the Jehovah, said unto my Adonai, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And what about after David had passed from the scene? What prophecies came after David passed from the scene? Hundreds of years after David had passed from the scene. What does the scripture say? We know one of these. We know know all of these, actually. Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then it goes on at the end of verse 7. It says, Upon the throne of who? David. Upon the throne of David. Is the Davidic covenant special and unique? Is it important? You better believe it. Because upon the throne of David, because he's an heir of David, he would be upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to do what? To order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time even forward forever. So now we're getting into forever. So we're getting out of the physical. (laughs) We're talking about forever and ever and ever. What about in Isaiah chapter 11? What does it say? Verse 1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. It names Jesse's name by, 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 you know, right there. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. And in verse 10 it says, In that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him. What about Micah 5 verse 10? What does it say? Speaking not only of David's progenitor, but also David's offspring according to the flesh. It says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one, capital O, to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Is there anybody that is from old, from everlasting? No, it's the Logos of God, Jesus Christ. So this Davidic covenant is all wrapped up in David and David's descendant, David's progenitor, Jesus Christ. He existed before, and now he's in the flesh. He comes after David. 
I know that's really exciting. I'm sorry, that concludes our program for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.